You're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, episode 53. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Hey there, amazing humans, Angela here, and welcome back to another episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Angela, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I'm a business consultant helping women in business develop the foundational framework and strategy they need to grow sustainable and profitable businesses. I am really excited today because I get to have a juicy conversation with the most amazing person, Denise Duffield-Thomas, and we're going to be talking about fear, conserving your energy, her new book, Chilpreneur, and so much more. For those of you that don't know about the amazing Denise Duffield-Thomas, she is a weapon in disguise and is the money mindset mentor for the new wave of entrepreneurs. And what Denise focuses on, she creates safe places for women to talk about money, cash, and abundance. She helps us to normalize wealth and to identify and then release all the sabotages holding us back. She is, as I said, an absolute wealth of knowledge. But before we jump into today's episode, I just want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my four-day, three-night women in business all-exclusive retreat, where we will be focusing on having the chance to refocus, connect, learn, and grow in order to grow both in life and in business. This amazing event will be held on October 24th through to October 27th at the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia, and it's an exclusive event with only 50 tickets being sold. From having eight of Australia's top female entrepreneurs speaking to surrounding yourself with amazing people that will lift you up both at conference and after conference, to daily masterminds to get individual help on your businesses from both your peers and the speakers, to amazing food, being able to sleep in, and as I always say, eat an uninterrupted meal without your children, you're not going to want to miss out. To learn more about this event and to purchase your ticket, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au. Again, this is an exclusive event with only 50 tickets being sold. We also do have payment plans for those of you that need help with cash flow, so you don't want to miss this opportunity. Now let's jump into this beautiful episode with the amazing Denise Duffield-Thomas. Welcome to the show, Denise. Hey, Angela. Thanks so much for having me. Gosh, well, thank you. I know you've had a crazy schedule over the last few weeks on your book tour. So whereabouts are you today? I'm actually at home. So this week I was in Perth and Melbourne. Last week I was all over Queensland. So I, I got in last night and it's always nice to be home. Um, and then I go to New Zealand next week. Oh, goodness. Will the family join you in New Zealand or are you heading off by yourself? No, it's. I find with um, the speaking to her, if I can go by myself, I can go much quicker. You know, it's in and out and I can come home. But yeah, I've, um, I've been away a lot and, and, you know, I'll go away for like two days at a time and my kids are starting to not love that so much. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just about to say, how's the family coping? Because I know you've got three beautiful kids who are still quite young. Like I think your um, oldest just started school this year. And of course, you've got hubby. So how do they cope when you're not at home? I think actually they would cope better with me being away than Mark, my husband. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think they really miss him. Like when he goes away... He'll go out for the night and just miss bedtime and they're so upset about it. <laughs> they're like, where's like, our father? Like, I miss daddy. Like he'll be gone for 10 minutes and they'll go, I miss daddy so much. And I think <laughs> with me, they're kind of okay with me being away for like two days at a time. 
Yep. And do you ever get questions like, oh, I know, I don't know about you, but they'll say like, oh, well, you know, do you get the mom's guilt or you get this? And, and my kind of response to people is, is at the end of the day, I'm not just a mom. Like I, I, mom is yeah. a part of who I am, but there's other parts of me also. And for me, I also don't want to get to when my kids are 18 and 19. And then I don't, I don't know what I'm like. I'm just like that. I don't really want to be solely dependent on the empty nest syndrome either. Um, yeah. And I also, you know, for Finley, yes, my son, but also for Chloe, I also want her to know that, do you know what I mean? Like when I go, like I'm helping other women in business. What are, what are your thoughts about when you get questions like that? I don't get a lot of questions around the mum guilt so much. I yep. haven't had anyone like try and shame me for being, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, you know, not to my face anyway, yep. but I'm kind of the same. And I remember reading something ages ago about a mum who would go away. And she said, one of her big tips is never say, oh, I feel so bad about going and I'm so sorry. But she would say, you know, mummy's going to do a conference or to do a book tour and I'm really excited about it. And yes, I'm going to miss you, but I'm also doing this thing. And so I kind of do that philosophy. I'm like, yes. hey guys, I'm going away for a couple of days. I'm doing my book tour, and um, and I don't make a big deal of it, and I don't apologize either. Yes. No, fantastic. I don't either. I'm just kind of like, this is how we're rolling. This is what it looks like. I'll see you when we get home, you know. And they, and I think again, two kids, they 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 do have the kid brain, yes, but they're also you know also human. So I think the more we just communicate with them, I think they actually appreciate that sometimes, you know. I agree. And I love talking to them about my books and my programs and stuff like that. But we were in an airport a couple of weeks ago going to Darwin all together as a family. And I was like, oh, whose book is that, guys? Like, <laughs> you know, in the shop. And they were like, oh, your book, mom. And so I, they're not that impressed by stuff because I just, I've got a lot of author friends too. And yep. they'll be like, oh, that's mommy's friend's book and that's mommy's friend's book. Um, so they just think everyone's mom has a book. <laughs> everyone's mom has a book. They're like, they'll get to school. Like, where's your mom's book? My mom doesn't have a book. That is so awesome. <laughs> exactly. but, that, but I mean, what are, I mean, I don't know. I think it's also what a privilege, do you know what I mean? To also be able to share those experiences. Like, Hey, we're at the airport. There's mom's book. And they might not really think much about it now, but later on, I reckon they will be like the penny may drop. Like, Oh, that was really cool. Mom, you know, mom, mom's an author. Like, that's really awesome. Well, I don't know about you, but I think towards the future when they're teenagers and I'm thinking, well, you know, it'd be great to have an assistant come sometimes and help me at an event. And I was like, oh, that, that would be so cool if they're interested in stuff like that to be like, okay, cool. I'll pay you to come in. You can sell books at the back of the room or you can greet people. I think that stuff will be a really good experience. So I really hope they're into that. I'll be like, well, look, you get a free trip to New York, but you have to sell some books. <laughs> yeah, you totally. to You're going to have to work for it here. But yeah. I, I, I do think about that often, actually, if I'm 100% honest. I think about, like, for example, I've, there's a couple of things. I'm in the middle of uh, switching accountants and there's just a few little loose ends, unfortunately, that I have to tie up that are driving me crazy. But uh, I was thinking, I've just got to enter a couple things into a spreadsheet real quick. And I was like, okay, well, I could just quickly outsource this and do whatever. And then I was like, man, if my kids could type a little bit better, I'd be like, can you just enter this into the spreadsheet for me? And it would be like, awesome, right? They're working. They're doing what I need them to do. Um, so no, I, I'm, yeah, I do. I do think about that already. <laughs> my, my friend, Tammy, her and her husband both have a business. Their son, Elliot is 10. He's really good with computers. So he actually does all their social media graphics. I do legend. And they, awesome. pay, they pay him for it, but like, and he, so I asked, I got him to do about 50 of mine. Yep. Feel like, thank you. Take my money. Yeah, I'm good. What well, was funny though, because he was like, oh, it's, he sent me an email. He's like, I hear you want to do some graphics. I charge a dollar an image. <laughs> I'm totally fine. And it was so cute. And I just thought, well, yeah, they can do stuff like that. And, you know, my husband had a, a paper route 
in England when he was a kid, I was like, I actually wouldn't want my kid to do that. Yeah, that would be a little in today's society, unfortunately. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm with you. I'd be like, no, no, thanks. No. Yeah, but like there's heaps of jobs that we can get them to do as entrepreneurs. Yep, totally. And I like, you know, my kids, when I first started Finley and me, my first business, they would come to the markets and set up the markets and they loved it. You know, I think there's an inclusion part of that too, but also that learning. And, you know, they talk about, um, you know, we're going to be able to outsource a lot. You know, robots will take over a lot with AI. But one of the things that's why I like when my kids would come to those events is that it's still working on those social, those human to human skills. And that's where I don't think robots will ever be able to replace that. So, yeah, I do like I mean, getting the kids, even when they're little, starting to get included in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, we had to do a big mail out last year of postcards and stuff. And you don't really need a kid to be um, only a couple of years older than probably Willow to stuff envelopes. <laughs> totally. You know, to stick, yeah, to stick stamps on an envelope. but And also for them to see, you know, this is how we make money as a family. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's not, it's not magic, you know, that we do something, especially if you're entrepreneurs and they, they don't see you getting dressed up in a suit and going to an office Yes, um, nope. and to see, Hey, this is what I do. I talk to people. I, you know, I help people with their businesses. I write books. This is, this is what we do. Yep. And it's so funny that you talk about like, cause we don't get dressed up. My kids, whenever my hair is done or my makeup done, I heard Chloe say to Finn, like, it must be a big day. She's dressed. Oh. <laughs> I was like, because I was like, mom does know how to dress up. She's like, yeah, not normally. You don't normally get those shoes out. Or you don't normally have your hair down. It's in a bun, mom. But it was, I giggled when I heard her say that to Finley a little while ago. It must be a big day. It must That's be serious. <laughs> so yeah. Oh. And now for you, obviously the book tour, um, how are you feeling with it? Because I know back in March when we were at a speaking event together we were up to lunch with a mutual friend of ours Zach and one of the things that you brought up which I thought was really interesting is how you are really honing in on protecting your energy um and that with your book tour you kind of talked about things like you decided to have it in the mornings when your energy level was at you know the greatest for you and that you booked it at cinemas you know across Australia to keep it simple um I just want to check in like how are you feeling with the whole book tour has those particular um strategies helped you in the book tour um to keep it simple have it in the mornings, you know, and it, yeah, just ultimately, how are you feeling overall with uh, the schedule? Oh, you know what? I did really good things and I did really bad things. So mm-hmm. the good things were um, last time I did a book tour, I did four cities and it was four different event spaces, different contracts, different, you know, layouts of rooms. Some you needed to bring furniture in. It was a freaking nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I remember it just took months and months and months to organize. So I didn't want a complication like that. Um, I A friend of mine told me she went to a, a writer's Q&A at the local cinema and I went, what? You know, like, ding. Yeah, so I went to go see them because um, I know the marketing manager there and she was like, oh, yeah, we can totally do your book tour in cinemas. Oh, and I happen to be the um, event and marketing manager for all of New South Wales and ACT. And, and so I was like, oh, okay. So all we did is we told her all our dates. She organized all of them around the country within one company. It was one company to pay. Um, It was super simple to do. Most of the cinemas um, are around about the same configuration and roughly Mm -hmm. the same size. But I also knew that if suddenly one city went to like 500 people, most cinemas have got small cinemas and big cinemas. Yes. They're all free during the day. Um, they're really comfy. And I, I got to the point where I was just turning up like 10 minutes before basically and just and it was easy. I just walked in and so that worked really well. The format for me worked really well. So I just said to people, I'm not doing a keynote. 
I'm not doing slides. I'm just going to sit down. I really wanted to sit down. That was a really important thing for me. Yep. I'm not going to stand behind a lecture. I'm going to sit in a comfy chair and I'm just going to talk about the book. And I, I, and every um, venue was slightly different because I had a piece of paper and I had like 20 concepts from the book that I wanted to talk about. And I would just look at the piece of paper and I'd just be like, I feel like talking about this one today. So I told people it's just going to be very chill and very easy. And I did some Q and A. Um, the other thing that was really easy as a, yeah, as you said, during it, doing it during the day, during the week as well. Okay. So yeah. Was, yeah. So it was easy to get, um, event space because cinemas are empty during the week and during the day. And I, if I do it at night, I won't be able to sleep. I'll be yeah. buzzing yeah, you're like, on the high. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and also I don't want to be away from my kids on the weekend. So that worked for me. And someone was like, oh, well, I can't go because I'm working. I'm like, well, I'm working too. This is my job. Yes. You know, it's not my hobby to go and do <laughs> my actual job. Um, so that worked really well. Um, some things that didn't work well, uh, I didn't realize how much energy it takes to do a book tour. You're going to laugh at this because of course it freaking does. <laughs> yes. Of course it does. So I wasn't just doing the book tour. Um, I was also promoting the book through podcast interviews. So I was, um, you know, going and doing these big events that like, it's like two and a half hours, three hours of talking to people, talking, signing books, hugging people, taking photos, a lot of energy. But then I was also doing podcast interviews at the same time. Not only that, I was also being um, a mentor on B-School. Yes. Was again, that's its own thing. Not only those three things, I was also, I'm still am teaching one of my courses. Mm -hmm. And a mom. (laughs) That's a lot of work. And then I'm working on another book and I'm I'm doing that book with, I'm working with a ghostwriter. So it's a lot of talking. We're talking and having interviews. So actually I committed to about, you know, five different things that really are their own projects. Yes. Within themselves. And then kind of like subcategories, probably even underneath of those. Exactly. And so, you know, I would go and do my event and in by all rights, I should have gone home and like gone to the hotel or gone to the movies. I was already at the freaking <laughs> I could have gone to see a movie or like met up with a friend or whatever. And instead people were like, Hey, do you want to have coffee? And I'm like, Oh, sorry, I've got to, I've got to go back to my hotel because I've got a podcast interview or yeah. I've got um, mentoring to do, or I've got, you know, an, another a coaching session with someone, you know, with my, with my course. And so I, I've lost my voice, you know, yes. I've got bronchitis and, and people are like, oh, you must be so exhausted doing the tour. And I'm like, no, I love the tour and I love all of the other things, but I shouldn't have overlapped them all. Yeah, that makes sense. So next that time you would just kind of clear the schedule a bit more. Yes. The other thing that I did is I didn't really talk to my team very much about what I needed uh-huh. um, from them. And so one of the cities I went to, I like got into the hotel and I was like, what the freak is this hotel room guys? Um, I could, the walls were so thin. I could hear the lady next, next (laughs) scraping like she was in the room and I was so pissed off. But then I realized that I hadn't said, I just assumed that, you know, Oh cool. I'm going to go do this thing. You guys are going to take care of me. And so I was booked in, like sometimes I'd get on the plane and I'd be like, guys, I'm in the last seat of the plane and a window seat. Yeah. You know, and I just, but I didn't really advocate for that as much. I'm like, guys, I need to be like in the front row in an aisle seat every time, if not business class. Yeah. I need to be in a suite because I've got a makeup and hair person coming and I don't want to be like sat in this tiny hotel room. I need to sleep. I need, you know, um, so that I felt like a bit of a diva doing that. But then I realized I was like, no, I need to be able to do my job well. 
Yeah. Um, and in order to do it, and it's yeah. like, and it's not even, I don't look at those things as luxuries. I look at those things as a necessity, right? Not yeah. only for your own energy, but then the energy that you're going to be able to give to at your, do you mean book tour, right? And the energy that you can give, like it's a knock-on effect. It's a ripple effect, isn't it really? Like I just look at it as it's actually a necessity versus, I don't know. That's how I think it. Like, because if you don't have good sleep, then what's going to happen? You're going to be cranky when you get to your event. Uh, oh, absolutely. Oh, well, one thing I did do that was good too is we booked hair and makeup everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. you so look super yeah. fun and all your Instagram stories and stuff. And you said that that was also part of, do you mean in, kind of embracing it, I guess, like it was a fun element of it. Well, it was, but it also I don't think I would have created the space for getting ready in the morning. I probably would have worked. Uh-huh. You know, I would have, or I would have booked things in. Like, I would have been like, oh, I just do because there was times where I had to do a podcast interview before the event because I just didn't block it out in my calendar. But having that hair and makeup actually was a time to sit, yeah, breathe, and also I looked good in the photos. Um, you know, and which for me, I'm like, I'm such an introvert, so going and doing a speaking thing takes a lot of energy. So I'm like, I want to look good, so those people take a photo and then share it with someone else, and then the impact of me actually getting up and doing something is multiplied. So we, so over the, the course of the tour, we sold 800 tickets, but Amazing. like, you know, thousands of people would have seen those pictures. So it was worth doing the hair and makeup stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I, lots of lessons. And, you know, before we hit record, you told me you had similar lessons this year as well, where it's like, okay, I have learned from that. And I think I am good at going, you know what? I won't do that again. 100%. And like, I think sometimes we have to go through those, whatever you would say that they start as a mistake and you're like, oh shit, did it. And then we'll hold on. What was the lesson from that? Okay. The lesson is, is I need to actually protect my time even more, or how is this going to impact my family? Or how is this going to impact my health? Or, and even though sometimes I think when we are saying yes, we, we do consider those things, but it's not till we actually go through it or we tighten our schedule or we overlap too much. So we actually go, hold on, this isn't working. So I always say there's always a lesson that we can learn regardless of what we're doing for sure oh I thought of another good thing that I did um we we knew that we were going to wanted to sell books you know and I just thought the idea of having a person I had to hire in each city because I was thinking I don't really want to bring someone along with me because I like being by myself yeah I was like oh I'm gonna have to hire someone new in every city explain to them how the square reader works set up the books, all those kind of things. So we talked to Hay House, my publisher, and they contacted bookstores locally who, and some of them were just next door, you know, some of them, it was in a shopping mall. So they were in the shopping mall and they would, they would bring the books, they would bring the reader and they would bring two people and they sold the books. So that probably cost me, if I did that myself, I probably could have made about $500 extra per um, event, but I would have had to do so much work to do that you know you're just like not as if it's already set up and then you don't have to pay for people's airfares or hotels or everything on top potentially on top of that you know or I don't have to talk to someone and explain it so that was worth it when I think it's not a straight numbers game where it's like oh I lost 500 opportunity costs it was like I gained peace of mind and energy and probably that would have cost me $500 of my time each venue yes to to do that so it was it was just great they just and they made the money for it and so they were happy it's, and again, it's a win-win and that's how, again, sometimes it's again, business, it's a collaboration. Um, you know, and like you said, to me, I don't look at like, you could have gone, okay, well, yes, 
they're selling my book and yes, I could make the money. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, like you said, it's a win-win. Your energy level saved. Your audience is going to get better of like more of you from a positive angle. You don't have to worry about that element. You can just walk in and leave and they'll do all the rest. Hello. Total win-win. And imagine like I'm trying to do my thing and some new person is like, oh, Denise, the square reader's not working. Oh, how do I do a receipt? And I'd be like, oh, okay, let me come over and do that. I'm like, oh my God, I just wanted to turn up. And I did. I turned up and I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm ready to go. You can let them in now. And then I did it. And then I left. Oh, dude, you're like, yeah, no, I think again, that sounds amazing. And, and that's, yeah. And I guess it's also about you know, that I hope will help some of the listeners to look at that sometimes, again, you don't have to keep doing everything yourself, right? Like so many times we put the pressure, oh, it will be easier if I just do it. But in this end, you found an easier solution that was much better for you. And I always think that, you know, we can always, uh, there's always options out there, but sometimes you're just like, oh, I'll just do it myself. But you, you found an option. It was win-win. Yeah. And now, you know, you know what to do it for the next time. <laughs> Same thing. Don't bring the square rod, the, the little <laughs> reader yourself, outsource. Now, listen, one of the things that, now I should say, because we could, I mean, we could probably talk for ages, but one of the things I like to do at the beginning of the podcast, because not everyone will know you. I know I've, like in my intro, I'll tell them a little bit about you, but I always like to ask a question because I think it's important that people see the guests, that they're not just business owners, that they're, do you know what I mean? There's more to them than that. And my question to you, Denise, is I know you just bought this amazing rose farm, which looks <laughs> absolutely amazing when I saw one of the pictures at the conference. And, but on Valentine's day, it was really fun. You and hubby from, if, if I'm telling the story correctly if I'm reading it like from how I perceived it when you were telling it is you uh decided to with the roses from the rose farm you decided to have like a stand where you were selling roses um Mm -hmm. and you sold out and so but my question isn't about the selling part my question is is what is your favorite color of rose on the rose farm oh that's such a great question because yeah we we bought a rose farm with no experience of selling growing roses we actually wanted to buy a holiday house yeah um, and we fell in love with this one just happened to have a, a very small rose farm attached to it um I like all of them and you know Mark um Mark actually sells roses now locally around there but he doesn't sell them to the public he sells them to florists and stuff makes it a bit easier and there's beautiful pink ones and yellow ones I probably read my least favorite uh-huh. um ones I would say the pinky the pinky kind and of how many variety of colors do you guys have on the farm just like oh my God. so many I have no fucking idea <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't even know what the varieties are called I have literally no clue about but well, I um, but, but they're fun you're gonna be surrounded by them now oh we it's so lovely having so many roses in the house and my vision for that place is to turn it into a retreat center amazing Um, yeah but and I think my personality wants everything to be done so quickly and I realized too that I'm in a very busy season of my life right now Mm -hmm. and it's okay we've got tenants in there who are just paying the mortgage it's okay to not take action on all of that right now and let that develop because I can see myself you know having grandkids there and stuff like that why do I need to do it all now yeah. But I think, again, that's where our, our brains are very similar, I think, Denise. And it's just like, we do uh, have lots of ideas <laughs> that go quickly through <laughs> our brains, uh, which is good. Like, it's not a bad thing, but I always sometimes like, okay, we got to park that shit in the toy box. I'll come back and play with that park idea it. later on, you know? Exactly. Well, the thing too, that it's a rich person problem to have, but now I have money. Sometimes I do get myself into trouble because before it would be like, well, I can't afford that. So 
I'm not going to do it. And now I'm like, well, I kind of can. So you kind of like, I can, I can own it. I'm going to, we're yeah. getting our asses a rose farm people. We are in. We're yeah, we did, we did. Cause I actually thought that was a dream that was five, 10 years away from me. Yeah. Um, I wrote it on my, I wrote it on my goal list. I just didn't put a date on it. And the yeah. universe is like, here it is. And I just thought, well, things like this don't come up very often. So no. I have to just jump on this. And, and we did. And I had to enroll a lot of people in that dream. Yep. especially our financial advisors. <laughs> well, that's what you were saying at the conference that you said, you was like, I don't know. And you're like, no, no, no. Just tell me like, what are we going to do to make this happen? And you, you and your hubby, you know, you guys together worked and you guys made it happen. Yeah. And in the end, it didn't even cost us that much money in the end. We thought we had to manifest all this extra money. And it was, you know, sometimes you need to just go see a broker and they go, oh, actually you can refinance this. And we, we actually put in way less money than I thought we were going to have to. Um, because we ran the numbers. Yep. And numbers are like key. And we're going to talk a little bit about this here around the fear. And I guess it's a good entryway into your, your book, Chillpreneur. I will say, listen, I don't just say that because I like you and we're friends, but I say it's a, it's a great read. It's an easy read. It is a funny as fuck read. Um, and I can always tell how much I like a book by how many times, A, I snort out loud and how many times my I spit my Diet Coke out. And I can say, hand <laughs> on heart, Denise, you nailed both of those, especially oh, with one with your liner. And it went something like, uh, and I quote, in the Smurfs cartoon, there was brainy Smurf, clumsy Smurf, greedy Smurf, hefty Smurf, jokey Smurf, and vagina Smurf. That's where spitting, do you know what I mean, number one and snorting happened. Um, so that was, hilarious uh but today we're going to hold off talking about vaginas you know much to do you know I mean your surprise there and instead we're going to focus on fear because fear i think do you know what I mean is something that we don't talk about as much as much as we should um and your book really touched upon that and you've got 14 juicy chapters in your book denise uh but the chapter i loved the most was chapter one which was called playing the game of business now i will say people might be like, well that's great you only got to chapter one no i'm actually on chapter eight <laughs> okay um it was just that chapter one really resonated not necessarily, well, necessarily with me, yes, but more so with where a lot of my current audience is at um, and where I see it, you know, th that fear. I see it all the time in different groups that I'm in, at conferences, and I just wish that if we spoke about it more, normalized it more, that maybe the fear wouldn't be as intense for some people. Um, so I guess I want to talk to you about, in the book, you really honed in, Denise, on three particular types of fear. You talked about um, the fear of failure, the fear of being um, found out as a fraud or an imposter, and the fear of being judged or criticized. And these are kind of the three fears that I'd like to talk more about you and, and open up some dialogue and some conversations for the audience. Um, and I guess with fear, we know, like every, every one of us as business owners, we have it, it comes in stages sometimes, we can freeze at times, we can be scared shitless, sometimes it's a combination of all those things. But to start with, in Chillpreneur, you talked about a friend of yours who had sent you a text message, I believe, and it was something along the lines of, I'm hosting a live event today, Denise, I'm super scared, tell me the fear goes away. And you were quite blunt in your response. You're like, I'm sorry, but no, it doesn't, not entirely. But the good news is what scares you today won't scare you tomorrow. And I guess I want you to talk with us a little bit more about what do you mean by what scares you today won't scare you tomorrow? And what does that look like for you now? Well, I, th I think that's just so true, right? Because you think back at your start of your business and every time you do something for the first time, it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is a perfect example of what we're doing now. Five years ago, when I had an interview, I would think about it all night long. I'd wake up at like three o'clock in the morning thinking about it. I would be really stressed and, and nervous. I'd have to do some EFT before getting on the call. 
but today, like these days, five minutes before my call, I'm like, all right, who am I speaking to? Do I need hair or makeup? Um, and sometimes if they're like, yes, it's a video. I'm like, great. Let me smear on some makeup real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was t- a minute before I logged on, I was like unwinding my headphones, you know, and I do not think about it. Like it does not scare me in any sense of the word. Cause I've done it so many times. Same with events, like with, um, with my book tour, I was not a single bit nervous. I didn't have to do tapping beforehand. I slept like a baby the night before five, six years ago, that would have terrified me. And then everything that happens in your business, the first time you get a refund request, it's like a dagger in your heart. You know, you're like, oh my God, people don't like me. This is the worst. And then after a couple of years, you're like, oh, okay. So we're about to do a launch. I'll know that we'll get, you know, an X percent of refund requests and it does not bother you, but there is always something new to be scared of. And most of the time it's the same stuff. And when I say that, I mean, like, I have guilt feeling, guilty feelings sometimes about things being too easy or, you know, that um, people will think that I'm a snob if I'm too successful. Like that's a recurring fear for me. So that comes up at, at different stages of, of my business. But then other things freak me out, like maybe going on like a super famous podcast would scare me. No offense, Angela, but <laughs> like, you, so it doesn't scare me. But if yeah. I was like with Oprah, yeah, okay, fine. I'd have some nerves. Yep. Oprah again. Um, anything like that. I just think, yeah, it's scary. And the reason why I was so blunt with my friend is because 10 years ago, someone was really blunt with me about it. And mm-hmm. that was Allie Brown. Yep. I was at her event. It was 2009 in Dallas um, or 2011. I can't remember which one the Dallas one was. Yeah, 2011 Dallas was. And I was going down to the party and I happened to get in the lift with her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, hi, Ali. <laughs> like a weirdo fangirl. I was like, hi, Ali. And I was like, can I just ask you a question? She goes, yeah, what? And I said, when does the fear go away? And she goes, it doesn't. And like, I was like, boom. but surely at a certain income level it does. She goes, nope, never goes away. And I was like, fuck, no. Um, so that's why I just tell people now too. I was like, I thought six figures, it would go away. I thought a million dollars, it would go away. I thought $3 million, it would go away. Um, it doesn't. But yeah. that doesn't mean that I'm like living in fear all the time because the first year or the first, like all those first lessons when you're doing everything for the first time, that is the scariest time. And that's why you need to be so gentle with yourself. You need to armor yourself against, you know, criticism and negativity and all of those things, because you are so vulnerable. You're like a little baby snail without a shell. And yeah. And And it is. And I think again, you said, I like that again, be gentle on yourself. I'm all about when I work with my VIP clients and, you know, you probably do with your coaching clients also, it's like, give yourself permission. Do you mean to either take it slow or be kind to yourself or be gentle? Like, you know, it's like, it's a huge, massive learning curve. It's like kind of like when you have your first baby, well, I can't speak for everyone that's had their first baby, but you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Do you know what I mean? Like the baby, like you're like, I was a mess the first year. Cause I was like, this shit's all new to me. Like I was scared shitless. But then once you kind of get the rhythm, you're like, okay, but I had to learn to be gentle of myself as a mom. I had to learn to be gentle of myself with certain elements of the business and know that it's going to be okay, but just to keep going. And I guess that's, you know, a lot of people will stop or they let that fear creep in where I'm like, just keep going action steps. You've got this. Exactly. But that first year, often you don't know other people in business. Mm -hmm. Isolation. Yeah. And I remember saying to Mark, oh my God, I'm so nervous about this thing. And it was like a webinar or something. And he goes, well, maybe you should just get a job. 
And like that's the wrong, like that's the wrong. <laughs> thing like bum, bum. Yes. Whereas the next year, I had a lot more business friends, and they were like, "I am too. Let's go and do our thing, and high five, and I'll listen to yours, and you listen to mine, and you know, text me after and let me know what it's like." And you know, even after my events on my book tour, I've got girlfriends. They text me, "How was your event today?" Yeah. You know, and you don't have that in your first year. That's why everything's so scary. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And why do you think though, with things being scary or for those first times, right? So the fear is different for everyone. And, but why do you think businesses struggle with that initial, like, you know, asking for the sale or going live or publishing a blog post, those things that really, when you're first starting off in business, you know, what are some of your theories behind why, why that fear, why that blockage is there? Well, I didn't get any of that at first because I, I just thought, oh, just do it peeps. When I was when I was coaching yeah. people, I was like, just do the thing. Yep. Uh, and then I read a book called Witch by Lisa Lister, mm-hmm. um, as in, you know, a witchy witch. And she talks about this thing called the witch wound, which I'd never heard of before. And then a, a lot of other people, and I've quoted them in my book, but it's this fear that if you speak up or you do something different, you're going to get persecuted in mm-hmm. some way. And for some of us that... That is a really real feeling. You know, some of us are descended from um, families where that ha- that happened. It's in our collective consciousness that mm-hmm. women have been punished for speaking out um, or for being different, um, not just women. Other people have been persecuted for being different. Uh-huh. And then you might see it in today's world as well where someone might be outspoken in your industry and they get, you know, metaphorically burnt at the stake on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a friend of mine has pages and pages written about her on get off my internet forums. Oh my goodness. Like serious people. Oh my God. Ridiculous. But, um, but so that's how we fear that. And it feels real. So it's, I didn't get it. And that's why I was like, just do your freaking blog post. Not realizing that behind the scenes, that person was like shaking with unexplained fear because they just thought it's not safe for me uh-huh. to speak about this. It's not safe for me to be visible. It's not safe for me to put my head up. It's not safe for me to, um, you know, be different or to make money, all of those things. So you've, you've got to work on that feeling of safety. It's like, it's safe for me. I actually literally use that as a mantra. It's safe for me to do this. It's safe for me. And it, it actually just calms your body down a little bit. I actually even use, um, Louise Hay. She just says all is well, all, all is well. well. The simple, all is well. But I like the one I feel like this. Is, what did you say? I feel safe or this is safe? Um, it's safe for me too. It's safe for me too. Yep. Engine women in business. Get ready to ignite your success and elevate your game. Join me for an exclusive three-day women in business conference from October 31st to November 2nd at the breathtaking Gold Coast, Australia. Designed exclusively for online business owners, service-based business owners, coaches, consultants, and course creators. What to expect at this amazing three-day Women in Business Conference? Expect an immersive experience filled with fun, empowering keynote speakers, interactive workshops, networking opportunities with other successful business owners, gain valuable insights, forge meaningful connections, and leave inspired to take your business to new heights. 12 speakers have already been announced with five more speakers being announced shortly. We have Steph Taylor joining us, Anita Seek joining us, Lisa Cordiff joining us, and not to mention Manny from Sound Healing Australia, who will be there for the most magical sound healing experience ever. You do not want to miss the event of the year for women in business. To secure your ticket, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au today. 
And when you, and if people, so if they've got the fear, and again, like you said, this is like, we're talking like years in the collective conscience, right? Like this can like, especially, you know, and then you're not even talking about like, for example, if women have been in domestic violence situations in their, in their own life, right? Or they had trauma growing up. I'm assuming some of those, and if not all, would have an indirect consequence, I guess, around some of those fears about going live for a blog post. Because again, that un, not feeling safe. And so if yes. you look at kind of That's that, you know I mean, the historical side of things and then potentially the current side of things. Um, but you also talked about some of the, in your book, you talked about, you're not a, um, a psychic, but you also talked about some of the predictions for how, you know, how much a business owner will fail. Can you, and can you talk a little bit about that and open up the conversation around what those predictions are? Yes. Yeah, so early in my business, I think I did the same as a lot of people do. I would you do a launch, you know, or I would set out a blog post or I would do a thing and I would be kind of feeling shitty if I didn't get the results that I wanted. And mm-hmm. I would internalize that nobody liked my thing. I suck all of all of these things that we all do. And then I read a book. Um, I think it was called dot com secrets or something. I don't know. It was like a, it was like a bro marketer kind of thing. <laughs> Russell Brunson, I think, but like, and he's, he talks a lot about stats and AB testing and it was just like this new world. I was like, what? And that's when I started learning about the statistics of marketing. I, I should have learned it earlier because I actually have a marketing degree, but I never went to class. <laughs> I was the um, president of my business club on campus. So I never went to class. Um, but I, I found out about the stats of, of my industry and the fact that one to 2% is a really good sales conversion if you're, if you're doing a launch. Um, and I started actually then looking at the stats that mattered in my business. So when I sent a newsletter, what was my open rate? It was around about 25%. Mm-hmm. What was my click through rate? About 10%. Uh, what, you know, what percentage of people unsubscribe? Like even knowing that can make you chill about all of those things because then you're like, Oh, people don't like me. It's like, oh no, I know when I send out a newsletter, I'm I'm gonna have X percent of people unsubscribe. And that's just how it is. So I I think even though stats can sometimes feel boring or restrictive or scary, they actually can be the thing that helps you be really mellow and chill. Cause then you know, it's not personal. Exactly. Right. And they're able to go, hold on. This isn't actually me. This is just like, this is how business works collectively. These are the standard open rates. You know what I mean? And so again, this isn't about me. They can externalize it and go, actually, this is, this is an overall business. This is just the world of owning a business that has nothing to do with me. No, exactly. But, and you can forget though, every time, sometimes, you know, <laughs> totally. we'll launch. And sometimes Mark will do a launch too. And he'll go, Oh, I don't think we like hit the results. And I'm like, well, how many people visited the sales page? And he goes, Oh yes. Okay. I'll go and look at it. And then he goes, Oh, actually we doubled, you know, we doubled our results. from. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm I like, was freaking dude. out for nothing. Yes, exactly. So those things are really important to know, um, for your industry or you track your own and then you've got a sense of your own ones. But you know what? I think a lot of women fear doing this because, um, Lots of women I know have been told from a young age that they're not good at math yes, or they're, they get confused by it. And hey, I use a calculator for everything. I can't <laughs> do very simple math, but you can just, you know, pl- plug it into a spreadsheet and just set it and forget it, you know, but, but just don't make up stories about your results. You've got to look at the numbers and then you can go, oh, actually I'm right on track. 
And I think you're, it's, it is right. I know every legit hand on heart, every VIP client I've ever had. Um, one of the, probably about month three when we're working together, I then, after we've done some of the other foundational elements, I'll say, okay, now we need to look at more closely like your Google Analytics and what is this saying? And they're like, but what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, we need to track your numbers, but why? That will tell me what I'm doing. I'm like, even though that's what we, that's the purpose of it. Right. And I've, and you know, every single client I've had to set up, you know, this is what we need to, tr- depending if they're e-commerce or service based, this is what the numbers we need to be looking at. Um, that, you know, and they're like, oh, I actually made more money than what I thought. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's a whole nother kettlefish. Your accountant be, should, be, should be doing that part of it with you. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking more at like how many people are reading your blogs? What are, do you mean, where are they acting or where are they sitting at? Do you mean on your website? What content are they consuming? What do we give them more of? You, like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, but every single VIP client to date has not had the numbers. Like they, the, and I just, it's, so I say to them, well, what is it? And they're like, well, if I have to actually look at my, not all of them say the same thing, but if I have to look at my numbers, that means that it's like, it's true or not true. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. but it's better than, like you said, Denise, the stories that you start making up. Um, whereas if you don't track it, then, you know, how do you know what is true? What isn't true? So it is, it's always an interesting exercise exercise. It can be quite, you can see the fear like on their face. Cause I do my yeah. VIPs via video and we'll start looking at the Google analytics, but you can also see the relief after that session. Cause they're like, okay, now I got it, you know? So, and we do that every month. I encourage them on the first Monday of every month, either they have their VA or their team, do you know what I mean? Collect that data and they review it from like the, taking on the role of the CEO. They get the report, they look at it. Or if they're not at that stage yet, that they go in every month or the first Monday of every month and pull that data and start to be able to understand it. I think it's so important. I agree, but I've got a theory about why we resist it. Uh Besides the, like a lot of times girls are told they're not good at math. That's Mm -hmm. a big thing for sure. Um, there's a cultural thing that we have around, um, uh, it's making wishes, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's drummed interest from such a young age at birthday parties, make a wish, but don't tell anyone or it won't come true. So collectively, we've got this thing of like, I don't want to look at it because it won't come true. I don't want to want it or it won't come true. And I think that's that's something to do as well of like, if I look at it too closely, I'll jinx it. Jinx it. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I do like that, how you bring up the birthday wish, because we are, we're always told don't tell anyone because it won't come true. And I guess if we look at the wiring of our brains, you know, and we look again, that collective conscious that you're talking about then you look at even like those things what were we told about you know that will go totally into another mindset thing but again having to rechange those stories is going to be crucial to being able to look at your business from a successful or and or be successful really yes well I think certain uh, another personality type that um resists this numbers thing are people who are all about relationships Mm -hmm. they think like oh no you know, I've heard, but Denise, they're not numbers to me. And I'm saying, it's not about seeing people as numbers. It's not, it's just being realistic about the results that it takes, you know, and you might need to reach a whole bunch of people to get those numbers play out. It doesn't mean that you don't love each and every single one who joins. It's just that that's just how stats work. Stats work. Yeah, you can't be. The only thing though that I did one time, I took my eye off the ball when I was on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the meantime, we kind of sexied up some stuff on my like my opt-ins. We made them really sexy looking, and and so for about six months, I wasn't looking at my numbers and my opt-in rates. And came back from maternity leave, and I was like, "What happened? Like our um, our opt-in rates for all of my lead pages uh, went down." to like a quarter of what they were before. Wow. Yep. Actually, because we made them too pretty. Yes. 
and they had to be actually simple. So when you look at things like that, like I, that, that went on for six months because I wasn't looking at it. You can see where there's some major leaks mm-hmm. happening in your business and just fix that. Like there were people coming to check that thing out and I lost people because they were like, what do I click on this B? Do I click on this like cute little design element? Like, what do I do? And a confused mind says no. And so just knowing those things, you can just, you can spot problems. I'm sure you've done that too, where you've gone, oh, what's happening with this page? Why are people bouncing off this page? Oh, because it's, Sometimes, again, we can overwhelm people, overcomplicate things when things don't necessarily need to be that way. If people, you know, if we can solve a problem, just give it like, here, click here, you're going to get it. It's coming to you. We don't need to. Yeah. But it's again, you know, whatever our stories are at that time, oh, I need to do this or it needs to look this way. But sometimes if something's not broken, right, I say, why do we have to touch it? You know, but sometimes (laughs) entrepreneurs, as we were talking about before, is we've got a million ideas always going on. Uh, But I guess that goes on to, you know, also just testing, you know, just because something works and then you do try something else. Again, if you're looking at those numbers on a regular basis, you're going to be able to then decrease your fear with everything, but ultimately, you know, be going, okay, this didn't work. What can we do next? Like business is always about testing. It never stops. You're always testing something. Yes. And it's empowering. I think when you're like, oh, actually I, I can see that it's, it's not a story I'm making up. This is empowering information. But you'll feel a bit scared about it at the start. That's natural. Yep. But I think, again, the more that you get into the routine, again, it also builds, again, it's empowering. You build your confidence. You know where you stand. You make better decisions collectively. Like, again, so I know one of the predictors is just statistics basically as a business owner. But as Denise and I have talked about, it is super important just to know, like, your overall business statistics, right? Like, just like, we know, like, those generic predictors, like open rights and click-through rights and things like that. But your business is its own unique kind of identity. And it's important that regardless of the, the predictors or whether or not you're just regular staff, that you're on top of those. Oh, definitely. And I, I think keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people can get too caught up in like, oh, I need a sexy funnel and I need to do all the things. It's like, no, even just make just make sure you've got Google Analytics on your site. You know, like just know yeah, how people Some are people are like, what do you mean Google Analytics? And I'm like, your web developer, did they install it? No. Okay. Well, that's like, yeah, you know, but again, I guess for other women too, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's why when you're working with someone like you or someone like me, like if they go, that's what our role is. Well, you know, it's part of well, my role is I can't necessarily say it's just your two Denise, but that's part of my role is to be able to look at those foundational elements and say, you need to have this as a key part of your overall, do you know what I mean? Looking mm-hmm. forward strategy. Now with that's our fine. second fear, so we've talked about our first fear. The second fear, the fear that you talk about in the book is the fear of being found out as a fraud or an imposter. And, I, and I'd love to know is why do you think women fear the fear of being do you mean found out or a fraud? And do you think women do you mean kind of sabotage themselves in this particular fear? I don't know why necessarily, but the thing that was comforting to me was realizing how many famous people have it. And actually most people have it. I think the only people who don't have it are like sociopaths. <laughs> Because they just like, they're like, no, I'm, I'm fucking awesome all the time. um, I think it's just really normal to be like, everyone's got it figured out. And I'm the only one who doesn't know what they're doing. Um, And so you can Google famous people with imposter syndrome and it's crazy. And even just that for me was super comforting. Like, I don't know why literally we have it, but it's just, it's just natural and normal to feel like, oh my God, everyone's got it figured out and I'm just making it up. The thing that I've done to, to overcome that is I tell people I'm not perfect. 
like all the time. And even at the start of my book tour, I was like, Hey guys, I'm sorry. I've written this book called Chillpreneur, but like, I've totally fucked up and like put too many things in my life this year. Yeah. You know, cause and- I wanted to say that straight off the bat, just in case someone was like, well, you didn't seem very chill Denise and you've lost your voice. I'm like, Hey guys, learn from me. I'm not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> not perfect. And I know, and also in the book, you said another beautiful way is that when you overcome that this particular element of the imposter syndrome is that you said is that the way I, and I quote, I've overcome the particular fear is to forgive myself for not knowing any, everything while at the same time realizing that what I do know can really help people. Can you talk to me about how you were able to come to that realization is that you might not know everything, but yet there's so many people out there that need to hear from you and help and for you to help them. I think that started for me at the start of uh, talking about money uh-huh. because I resisted it for a little bit because I thought that only financial advisors were like legally allowed to talk about money. It's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> rule. And so I was thinking, oh my God, do I need to go back to university? Do I need to become an accountant? Do I need to become a financial advisor? Because in our world, that's they're the only people who are allowed to talk about money in our minds. Yes. So I realized I was like, well, as long as I'm not giving financial advice and I'm not pretending to be a financial advisor in any way, am I allowed to just talk about money from a mindset point of view? And I realized that I didn't have to be Susie Orman <laughs> to, to count for my voice to count because I thought, but there's just some things I'd like to talk about money. And I realized I was happy to contribute to the conversation. I didn't have to be the Oprah of my industry. I didn't have to be the expert of all experts because some people don't resonate with my work, but some people really do. And I think the way that I got out of it, because people tell me all the time now, I hated money, but I listened to you and hey, I realized that money's actually not so scary. So I just knew that I had a place in that conversation. Yeah. But I didn't put pressure on myself to be the only the only person. No. And actually someone came up to me yesterday and she goes, oh, Denise, I really want to talk about money mindset to like millennials or something. And I just went, great. And she goes, but I'm really worried you're going to think I'm copying you. And I was like, but no, you're going to say it in a way that's, I said, as long as you don't copy me. <laughs> as long like, as you don't take my program and throw it online, we're good. Yeah, I, exactly. I was like, just do it how you want to do it. And I said, I actually have seen in the last three years, a lot more people talk about money mindset. And occasionally I'll get a little twinge because I'll be like, oh, they were in my program. I'm like, I check out this. And I'm like, oh, actually they're talking about it in a completely different way than I'm talking about it. Go for it because the world needs more good people teaching cool stuff. Yeah. You know, there's, we're in the bubble. So we think, oh, everyone knows how to do this thing. Yeah. They don't. They absolutely don't. And they need to hear it in only the way that you can say it. So, the- and I agree with that because, like, I know sometimes, like, I say to people, when you hire me as a coach, a, you don't want to hire me forever because that's actually a bad coach. And two, do you know what I mean? I will help you with certain strengths. But sometimes you may need to hear it from someone else for the penny to drop, right? Or yeah. And so sometimes I think, again, people's learning styles, the way they perceive information, the way they consume information, personality, you know, that I'm just like, sometimes I, they, and they still need to get the same knowledge, right? The still the foundational elements about growing a business, but it might, I might just not be their cup of tea or, and that's okay. So again, I'm all about there. And I believe, you know, I, I go from an abundance. There's more than enough, do you know what I mean? People out there to learn from me as I'm sure you are to do the same thing. Um, yeah. My thing is, is just don't steal my stuff. <laughs> don't steal my don't IPs. Steal We're it. good to go. <laughs> We're sure. good. But also, even if you're teaching the exact same thing as someone else, which most of us are, right? Um, we've got different flavors around it. You know, I'm not a very gentle nurturing person. So I'm more of a, like a tell it like it is kind yes. of 
you know, person. And so someone needs to hear money mindset from someone who does it in a more gentle approach because mm-hmm. yeah. they, they, they're scared of me maybe. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all good with that. And my, my thing for that was like be a contributor, not a guru. Yeah. You know, yeah, like no, totally. And you go more in depth again about that in the book, again, why people you should get it. But yes, I'll talk more about that later. Now I'll, I'll summarize this fear though with a really cool quote, and then we'll move on to fear three, which is you said, you know, uh, I, I personally would love to see more women be talking about this. I've said it a couple of times because I think again, we normalize it. But what you said was, is regardless of this fear of this imposter syndrome, this fear of being found out is that you said, and I quote, someone needs to hear your voice. If you show up with integrity and teach what you know, with a lot of, um, a lot of heart, you won't feel like an imposter. And I guess that goes to just, you know, embrace your uniqueness, you know, what you have to offer will be different to someone else. But again, if you do it with integrity and you do it from heart, you know, uh, that imposter stuff will just go. Exactly. Because if someone goes, well, you don't know X, Y, Z, and it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just teaching this one part of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like I, I'm, I'm, don't say it. And even, yeah, you know, like sometimes, like I say, with my clients, if I don't know something, I'll tell you, and then I'll find that person who does know it, right? Like, there's no way we can know everything. And those are always people that are like, oh, yeah, I know how to do everything. I'm like, those are the red flaggers that I'm just like, actually, there's no way on earth you can know everything, you know? And I'm like, run for the hills if someone says they know everything. Because I'm like, it's actually, it's like code for fraud. Now, the third form of fear is you talk in the book, uh, Chillpreneur, about the fear of criticism. So my question to you is, why do you think the fear of criticism continues to hold so many people back? Yeah, well, I think it does touch on that witch wound thing again of mm-hmm. we're scared of being ostracized. Mm-hmm. And I think that lives in us as well. You know, I suppose in lots of places, lots of cultures, we're a tribal society or, you know, you lived in a small village. And if you were shunned, like that's a matter of life and death. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah, right. And so, or like, you know, there could have been worse consequences. So we're, we're just really scared of being kicked out of our groups, our, of our tribes, of our, like, this just lives in us as this fear of survival. Um, I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is it just doesn't feel very nice to be criticised. Of course it doesn't. Um, I think people are way more scared of it than it actually happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes people are really surprised to hear that I don't get a lot of haters. Yep. Yep. Because they're just like, they're so terrified that they think that that's just going to happen. And yes. Oh my God. I've got heaps of one star reviews. I've got people who don't like me. I'm sure there's probably, I don't know, people probably talked about me, but I really don't seek it out. Um, and some people Google themselves to find it as like, <laughs> and it's just going to like, dude, why you don't need to do that? Because of no. course not, not everyone's going to like you again, but you know, there's also the psychology about the five star and one star reviews too, right? That if you had just all five-star reviews, a lot of people, psycho- like from, literally from a psychological standpoint, go, oh gosh, it was their friends and family who wrote those reviews. Sure. Like, you know, whereas it's like, I actually say like, embrace the one stars because that to me only contributes to the authentic you because people are going to go, yep, you know, like she's not perfect. And that's such a great boy. (laughs) And in the world where people are always, you know, Instagram worthiness and perfection in this, I'm like, man, if you just embrace the imperfect you, like that's what people will start to love. That's, that's what they want. That's what they need, you know, to help them with. But the other thing is like, I'm sure you hate heaps of stuff. I'm sure like you have irrational hates for like, there's just some people you like, I don't like them. Yeah. And And I can be a real bitch. Like, you know, you need to sit and watch like reality TV. Like Mark and I are the biggest bitches. <laughs> we would never say to someone's face, you know, we're like, oh my God, look, like and we can be really mean and horrible. And so I think 
like I've got compassion for people who don't like me. I totally get it. I don't, there's heaps of things that I don't like about some people. I mean, I would probably never tell them. So I think sometimes people who like tell you that they don't like you, I'm like, that's great. You didn't need to tell me, but like, <laughs> you're like really like, thanks. Nothing. Yeah. But I'm like, to- and also it's none of my business. I'm just like, okay. So I am chill about criticism because I just know that one, it's inevitable. Uh-huh. You can't please everyone all the time for sure. And two, like I hate heaps of shit too. So whatever, like I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but it's not my job though to take that on. So I, I don't read, like I'm not in our customer service inbox. So my team probably see people go, well, I hate you. Like they're not forwarding that on to me. Right. Like Denise, here's some happy mail, not for you. Well, you know, actually I, I probably mentioned this in the book too, but when my assistant first started working with me, she would forward on like, yes, like, love notes and and people who were like fangirls because she thought that it would make my day and words of affirmation for me are very low like I think my last or gifts are my last actually gifts but um so I thought hang on I can't believe that the fangirls are real and then the haters are like haters like I have to see I can't be like she loves me. She loves me not. <laughs> right. you know, I can't, and I can't be like, well, at the end of the day, I got three love mails and three hate mails. So they cancel each other. out. I'm like, I don't care. I like me. My friends like me, my family like me. And so I'm going to sit with that. I'm going to have an equilibrium that has got no, like, it doesn't matter how many people like me or hate me. So in that way, if you think like that, then you can't believe the rabid fan girl moments either. It's just like, good and bad it's just someone's opinion I'm just gonna be not to mention it like how exhausting it is right from an emotional roller coaster you're like yeah I had really like five great emails I had one shitty one right so it's like one step forward two steps back I mean that's exhausting it is so just do your thing and yeah whatever it's not about dismissing them it's just like it's not your thing that is going to be your fuel yeah, 100%. And so for those listeners out there that are like, okay, you guys have dropped a few truth bombs. I probably need to look at a few little fear things, need to take some action. What's one thing that the listeners could potentially do to start looking at or handling the, you know, those three main points of fear that we talked about today? Well, definitely Google the imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. Um, Cause so many famous people talk about it. That will make you feel a million times better. <laughs> yep. um, if the witch wound stuff like triggered something in you, I would um, I would go read a book about the witch wound because there's a lot of people who talk specifically about the witch wound. Mm-hmm. And then I would say too, there's a couple of specific um, things that you can do. Like, for example, take unsubscribe notifications off because mm-hmm. you don't need to see that. Yep. <laughs> don't read it. Like if you know you go in and read it sometimes to like poke your bear, um, like lose the password for, for that for a while. Yeah, just lose it, dump it. Yeah, like, or maybe it's like on your dashboard when you log into your email system, you can take that off. Um, so I think sometimes you've got to blinker yourself because you can't stop the criticism coming, but you can choose how you engage with that. Um, it could be that you have a gatekeeper for your emails. Like there's some practical stuff that you can do to, um, you know, you don't have to get better at loving criticism. It's just that it's not your job to read it all. Yep, totally. And it's not, you You know, you don't have to hold it either. Do you know what I mean? As we said, no. you know. Like I, I've got tons of one-star reviews of, as I've said, and I remember the first couple of times I got it, I would go and like reply to them because someone <laughs> would go, you know, someone would go, ah, Denise, you swear too much. And I'm like, well, first of all, you bought a book could get rich, lucky bitch. So like there was a bit of a spoiler alert in the title. <laughs> yeah, be like, what? 
then, yeah, but then I'd be like, well, thanks so much for your feedback and here's some other books that you'd might like better. And now I'm just like, cool, that's their opinion. Yeah. I'm, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel bad about it. I'm so neutral on it now. And I guess, you know, that though, that shift, because when you first started, you probably didn't, you probably didn't look at it from that point of view. And I guess a question I have is, you know, or a discussion that will kind of, and then we're almost going to wrap up is around that mindset. So, you know, a lot, if not everything around fear is mindset. And especially yeah. when we start off in business, it, things are a bit wobbly. And I see a lot of people, you know, I need to get the perfect, you know, logo and I need to do this and I need to do this. And I'm like, if you spent just as much time as you are in your logo and your font, you know, font and your colors scheme and all this and read or did an exercise about mi- mindset, either collectively or money mindset, whatever that is for you, you know, I believe businesses would be in a, in a, uh, quicker growth stage, potentially more successful, potentially. Um, what are your thoughts about that mindset stuff in, in business owners? Well, the, I think one of the best things you can do for yourself to improve your mindset is surround yourself with other people mm-hmm. who have got a good mindset. Amen. Because, totally. Yeah. That's going to get rid of the toxicity. Yes. Because even just being around people who are supportive, who are cheerleaders, who speak positively about money, all that stuff rubs off. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you've got friends who challenge you a bit too. I had a friend who would, would say, oh, I'm so stupid. And I'd say to her, honey, I don't think I can hang out with you if you talk about yourself like that because you're not stupid. And, you know, so if you need friends like that who are just like, no, you're amazing, I love you, hey, don't worry, we've all fucked up before, like that's the biggest thing you can do for yourself. Um, it's not just your friends I would say too I'd also say family I was um, a good friend of mine Lisa Cordiff I had her on the podcast a couple weeks ago and before we had started recording we were talking about um, also family right and that Mm -hmm. as you grow as a person and as you grow in business sometimes you uh, are stuck with shedding some of the family you know and it's and it's a tough thing too but sometimes it's like you know, we just bought a ticket last night. I'll use an example. We're heading to Kuala Lumpur and uh, Vietnam for a couple of weeks in June. And I mean, we're leaving like 40 days, very last minute, but I was like, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. And, you know, one of the family members this morning was like, oh, must be nice to be able to travel. Right. Like, and I'm like, well, hold on. That's like, but that's our choice. Like we've made a decision we worked hard for it. And that's what we're doing. We chose to actually like act, you know, take action to do this. But it's like, you know, there's one particular family member that it's like, they're, they're doing it so much more often. Right. And I kind of feel like it's like rocks in my, in my pocket, like they're kind of holding me down. And I'm just kind of like, well, it's not that I want to get completely write them off, but I've got choices either keep allowing those conversations to happen or do you mean re-put a new boundary or kind of pull back a little bit. Right. But I think it's not only around surrounding yourself with good friends, but I think family also, you know, um, can play a big part of it. Well, if you're new in business, I would say the biggest mistake that people make is they try and get validation yes. from from their family members. So they try and they give them too much information. Um, whereas I think it's like change the subject. Honestly, yeah. people aren't <laughs> going to be supportive. They don't get to hear about your business. But that's why you need friends. You need a mentor because then you need somewhere to channel that. Yeah, 100%. And that again, the more positivity around, like it's a better place. It's a much better place for everyone. And again, your mindset from there will grow. Now, Denise, I know, like I said, you've been super busy. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with my audience about the, you know, those three main fears that you talked about in your book, Chillpreneur. And for those of you that want to get a piece of Chillpreneur or they want are chomping at the bits to work with you, where can they find you? How can they okay, connect with you? Yes. So my... All my social handles and my website are all Denise DT. So okay. Denise DT.com. I'm on Instagram at Denise DT. 
Um, what I actually really love when people do is that they tag me on Instagram, not with a word of affirmation because whatever, like, so don't say, Hey, I love it. It's just, but say, here's what I did from reading your book. Yeah. That for me, like acts of service, I'm like, I was of service to you and you changed your price or you did this thing. Like that for me gives me goosebumps. It's so exciting. So um, take a picture, like screenshot of wh- how you're listening to us right now. Tag myself, tag Angela. Tell us what you did um, from listening to this podcast. That's the thing that makes me so excited. That's what makes you happy. All right yeah. then. Well, listen, so Denise... DT is where you can find you at the socials and tell us a little bit about money bootcamp. If they want to do me get into some cool money mindset with you. Yeah. So my money bootcamp is, um, it's a six week, but it's, it's a six week course, but it's like one of those ones. It's like mafia. You're in for life. Once you're in, you're like in forever. Um, and it, it is a, uh, a set process to find out and discover your money blocks, where they came from, what beliefs you have around money, um, the tools to let some of those go and, and recognize your money sabotages and all of those things. So, and it comes with a beautiful community community and it's a community just to talk about money. You know, we're not a business, we're not a um, marketing forum. It's a really rare place where you can talk about pricing and your fears around money and your money successes. And people share how much money they make about things too, which is, and it's not even um, special, like, it's not even a thing anymore. People are like, oh, I made this or I made this. And we celebrate that I made $1,000 and we celebrate someone who like, oh, I made $10 million last year. You're like, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Money is just, it's a normalized conversation. And I sometimes forget how rare that is to have a place where you can talk honestly about money. They're fantastic. And where can they learn more about uh, Money Bootcamp? Uh, at, um, at my website. So denisedt.com and you can check out the Money Bootcamp. I also have a course called Money Archetypes, which is a really fun way to look at your money personality. Um, but I would say for people, if you're just starting out, read my book. So I've got a, a book um, called Lucky Bitch about manifesting. If you're new to that, um, even if you're not, you probably get some fun stuff. I've got a book called Get Rich Lucky Bitch about money mindset. And then the new one is about business. So go to Amazon, pick which one you feel like you want to read first. And that's a really good way to see if my flavor is your flavor. <laughs> your flavor. Yeah. Because yeah, again, everyone, we all have got different flavors, but I'm kind of like you, Denise. I call, like, I'm not here for fluff. You know, I swear probably way too often I say to my podcast team, actually click the explicit button for every episode <laughs> exactly. side because you never know what's coming out in an episode as today we've dropped a few bumps. But yeah, man, a book's a great way. And you've got three really juicy books. Again, there's, you've got a lot of content online. So, and again, follow Denise at her socials, you know, she keeps it real. She doesn't just talk about business. She talks about, you know, motherhood. Um, she's a strong advocate, you know, in a variety of different things. If you know something, I can't remember the gentleman who was Forbes, was it Forbes recently? Or when you use the word entrepreneur, do you know what I mean? That was a really great oh. post you had. I was like, that's a whole nother podcast probably. Uh, but again, all I'm saying is that it's not just your stock standard. Denise gives a lot of value um, on her, yeah, just on her social. So, you know, start there also, whatever floats your boat. And just also for the rest of you, please remember that my team and I will also be putting together the whole trend description for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au. And of course, I cover all sorts of related business and life topics inside my active Facebook community, the Australian Business Collaborative. And for the rest of you, I hope you have a fabulous day. And I look forward to you joining me next week for another amazing episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. Thanks again, Denise, for being on today. I really, really appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson.
www.angelahenderson.com.au.